This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We're in week two of our Christmas series this year, an uncomfortable Christmas, because I believe that as we look at the story of Christmas, we find that greatness is often born in the context of an uncomfortable season. I want to share a story with you as we get started today that I believe illustrates that maybe as well as any I've heard in a while. Let me show you a picture. This right here. This is a gentleman named Walter Buck Swords. Walter uh, was a World War II veteran. Um, he was a frequenter of one of his favorite restaurants. He went to a place called Luby's Cafe every single day. And he wasn't exactly the nicest person. He apparently loved eating there. You can see the food on his chin. Um, but he, he was a, a grumpy old man. Uh, he would complain about the food, send it back, cuss his waitress out. He was not a nice patron. As a matter of fact, uh, over time, the, the waitresses started to say, I, I'm not going to serve him. I don't want to serve him. I don't want to serve him. And finally, one young woman decided that this was her cause, her call. Her name was Melina Salazar. There's a picture of her from an interview that she did. She took up the mantle of being the daily server for Walter. And as Buck would come in, she would deal with his outbursts. She would deal with the cussings. She would deal with his demands. And she just served him. In many ways, in uh, interviews that she's given since, she, she did so because she said, I'm a little bit patient, more patient than the other girls are. Or maybe, maybe I just I, I felt a little bit more positioned to take. Somebody needed to do that. It might as well be me. But for seven years, Walter came in almost every day to Luby's. And then one day, in their small little town, Melina was reading the newspaper and came across an obituary. Walter had passed away. And for most of us, the story would just simply end there, but it didn't end there for Walter and Melina. When his estate was settled in his will, Walter left $50,000 to Melina. And for a girl who traveled primarily through public transportation, he left his car. You see, you can look at Melina's story and say that the setting of simply being a server in a small-town restaurant, that's something that could never impact the world. That would, that would never, you can never, there's no story that's going to come out of that setting that would, that would ever compel people or encourage people. But, but the truth is that while that might have been an uncomfortable setting, it might be what even some of us would call an ordinary setting, that out of that emerged a great story. And I believe that as we look at the story of Christmas, we're going to see that the setting played a big role. Just so we're all on the same page, let me define 
what I mean by setting. The setting of a story is the background information and surrounding details that launch a story into existence. It's defining earlier in the story the, the historical setting because obviously if a story was set today or it was set in colonial times or if it was set in the first century, the, the historical setting plays a role into the story as it's going to develop. It's the social status of the characters. It's the weather. It's the physical landscape. All of that goes in to set up the story. This is why some of you hate the first 15 minutes of every movie. Because those that are telling the story are setting the setting. They're trying to establish in the early part of a film or a book what the setting is. And for us to understand our story, we have to understand the setting. See, the setting of your story might very well be a setup for faith to grow. It might feel uncomfortable right now. It might feel like the setting that I'm living in right now, this is a liability, this isn't an asset, but as we dive into the Christmas story, I honestly believe that you're going to see that your setting is a setup. You know, last week as we started this series, I talked about what it means to be uncomfortable. And I shared with you that I believe that the, the best moments in our lives are not born out of places of comfort. They're actually born out of places of discomfort when we're uncomfortable. And as we think about our life of faith, see, it's impossible to chase comfort and live by faith. As a matter of fact, I believe that living by faith, it just makes us radically uncomfortable. This is why last week I told you that if we're, we're going to embrace this, we, we kind of have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So think about the setting of a story, the setting of your story. What's the setting of your story? What's the setting? Maybe you come in today and the setting of your story is the, you came out of a broken family. There was some stuff that happened maybe in your family, maybe with your mom and dad, and it left a lineage of brokenness. Maybe, maybe you come in today and there's a history of addiction when you look at the setting of your current story. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe those who are way in the past, and maybe you've made some bad decisions recently. You see, all of our stories have a setting. Every single one of us comes in. And some of the components of the setting of our story are, are quite nice and comfortable, but, but if we're honest, many of them are very uncomfortable. So what's the setting of my story? If you don't know, my two grandfathers, my mom's grandfather was an orphan, and my dad's grandfather was a, a uh, my dad's dad, my, my grandfather on my dad's side, was, was a sharecropper. My two grandfathers were an orphan and, and a sharecropper. And then, you know, my parents were born, and then I was born. And there's so much about my story leading up into my life. I was at two years old, completely deaf. When I was 12 years old, I was burned in a gasoline explosion. And, 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 and there's a lot that could have led in my story that I could have looked back and said, that's a liability. 
that was weighing me down, but really what was happening is everything that felt like a liability was instead a setup. It was a setup to what God would do in my life. So what's the setting of the Christmas story? Because to really understand our stories, it's important to understand the Christmas story. What's the setting of the Christmas story? Think about this with me. Number one, this is in your notes today. If we're going to go back to the Christmas story, this is the first century. It's a little over 2,000 years ago, which means that the way that we understand the working of the world is quite different. Now, if something happens on the other side of the world today, we see it, don't we? We can watch it live streamed to us as it happens. And there will be people that can speak our language that are there, even if the people there don't speak our language. This is not so in the first century. As a matter of fact, there were two factors that were shaping the world that Jesus was born into. Number two, the Roman Empire controlled most of the known world. And this is the first century. So this is the, the, the height. He, Jesus is born under the reign of the second Roman emperor, Augustus Caesar. We're going to get into that in just a moment. But you have to understand the Roman Empire to understand the life and teachings of Jesus. There's, there's a moment when Jesus is teaching, and he says, you know, if a soldier compels you to carry his armor for a mile, don't just carry it for a mile, carry it for two. The reason that he teaches this is that in Roman law, the Jews were viewed as slaves, and a Roman soldier could compel a slave to carry his armor for a mile. And Jesus is like, no, don't just do the minimum. Go above and beyond. If you want freedom, it's going above above and beyond what's asked. But you don't understand that if you don't realize that the context of what they're teaching is the Roman Empire. Number three, Jerusalem is ruled by Herod the Great. Jerusalem is ruled by Herod the Great. So what I want to do is I want to spend a little time explaining the Roman Empire and Herod the Great so that we can understand the context of Christmas because there are things that go into the context and setting of Christmas that help explain our setting. So let's deal with the Roman Empire. The Roman, to understand the Roman Empire, you have to kind of back up about 300 years to go to Alexander the Great. In 336 B.C., Alexander the Great uh, becomes the, the incarnational leader of the Macedonian Empire. He unites all of the Greek kingdoms into one massive Greek empire. And he begins conquests. He would eventually or take over Persia. So, so this is a massive empire that is built in just about 20 years under the leadership of Alexander the Great. Now, here's the problem. This kingdom speaks this language. This kingdom speaks this language. This kingdom speaks this language. This one speaks. Now, we all are under the same umbrella. And so Alexander the Great installs something called Koine Greek. This means that there's a common language that everybody would speak. Now, if we travel today, what is the greatest barrier to travel? It's language. So if I go to Germany, I need to be able to speak German. If I go to France, I need to be able to speak French. If I go to Italy, I need to be able to speak Italian. If I go to Greek, I need to be able to speak or Greece, I need to be able to speak Greek. If I go to Israel, I need to be able to speak Hebrew. But in the first century, because of what emerged from the Roman Empire that was taken after this beautiful kind of idea that Alexander the Great had. It's the first time in the history of the world 
that you could be in the Middle East and speak and then travel throughout most of the known world and speak in the same language and everybody would understand. So a, a Jew from Jerusalem could speak in Athens and could speak in Rome and could be understood in every venue. And it's the only time that it's been that way in the history of the world. Now, under the Roman government, there was installed in these areas that they took over what we would call puppet kings. Herod the Great was one of those. Herod the Great was a, a... brilliant leader. He was super smart, talented, bold, courageous. Uh, He oversaw some of the largest building projects in the first century, rebuilt the temple, built several port cities along the Mediterranean Sea. He was super bold. As a matter of fact, under his reign, Julius Caesar was was executed and murdered. And and then there's this war to see who is going to become the next emperor of Rome. Uh, Herod actually picked the wrong side. And normally if you pick the wrong side, you left afterwards. But Herod had the courage to actually sail to confront Octavian, who became the next uh, emperor of Rome. And he gave this really amazing speech. And as it's recorded, uh, Octavian then, instead of just leaving him in charge of Judea, awarded him Judea, Samaria, Jericho, and Gaza after that. So he is a very powerful person. But as we find him in the Christmas story, Herod was obsessed with his legacy and controlled by ambition. It's, it's documented that at least four times he changed his will to leave his legacy to a different son. He, he brought in astrologers and, and people who claimed to be prophets to try to understand what the future was going to do. And then several times he had his own son executed to keep his legacy from passing to that child. And as we find him, In the Christmas story, he is an old man. He's 70 years old, and most scholars believe that he's dying from a very painful kidney disease. And he is very obsessed with the power that he holds and the legacy that he's leaving. And I think that as we look at that setting, it helps us understand our setting. So let me give you three things that I think we can learn from the setting of the Christmas story that apply to our setting. Number one, your setting is not a surprise to God. The setting of your story right now, your setting is not a surprise to God. Oh, as much as we could look at the the tension of the setting of the Christmas story, that surrounds Herod and Jerusalem and the Roman Empire, as we could look at all of those, there is so much opportunity that existed in the first century that has never existed before and hasn't existed since. God knew what he was doing. His, the setting of the Christmas story was not a surprise to God. I love Romans, how Romans 8.28 expresses this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I, I, I love how this expresses the truth that our setting is no surprise to God. See, it says that we know that God causes everything to work together. But pay attention to that. It doesn't say that God causes all the difficult situations that we walk through. Many of us know that there are consequences of our stupid decisions. 
but God causes them in his love and sovereignty to work together for our good. This is an amazing aspect of our relationship with God, that our setting is not a surprise to God. Number two, an uncomfortable setting is where greatness is born. An uncomfortable setting is where greatness is born. I, I, I believe that many of us in our lives, we pursue comfort. We pursue getting that bigger house, that, that nicer car. We pursue having enough money in the bank account that we feel comfortable. But here's the thing. Greatness is not born out of comfort. Lethargy is born out of comfort. Laziness is born in comfort. But it's in seasons where we're uncomfortable that we're provoked into greatness. And number three, a lack of comfort is an invitation to greater faith. A lack of comfort is an invitation to greater faith. You, you may be in a very uncomfortable season in your life right now. As a matter of fact, the, the, the setting of your story right now, it, it might feel pretty uncomfortable but what I want you to see today as we spend some time together is that that setting is really an invitation to greater faith in your life. Because we can find our comfort in our setting or our Savior. And a lot of times, the, the comfort that we desire is really, it's in our setting. It's in the things that revolve around our lives. God wants us to find our comfort in him, not in our setting. So I want to go to Herod. I want to look at how he appears in the setting of Christmas. And we're going to find that in Matthew chapter 2. This is how Matthew kind of begins the story of Jesus. Look at this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, if you understand the backstory, you now understand why Herod is, is upended because of the, the presence of a new king. This new king threatens his power. This new king threatens his legacy. And he is disturbed when this news comes. Now, now notice that, that this would have come because the Magi saw a star. Any celestial event was taken in those days to indicate that there was something happening throughout the world. And these men show up in Jerusalem right as Jesus is being born. Herod would have called in his astrologers. Why didn't you see this? Why didn't you know this was happening? He is upended. As a matter of fact, I would say that his story at that moment is unsettled. And he becomes very uncomfortable. And it's a principle that's working itself that many of us need to learn. See, when you're setting is your comfort, and your setting changes, you'll lose your comfort. And as we live, life changes your setting. It's going to happen. 
as much control as you feel right now, as comfortable as you might be, I can promise you this. Life is going to change your setting. And if your comfort is in your setting, when your setting changes, you lose your comfort. And in that moment, Herod's setting changed, and he lost his comfort. So watch how he deals with this. Watch. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, the Magi, returned to their country by another route. Now pay attention to this because this is so important. Okay. Herod Herod goes, when did the star appear? Now, what he's trying to figure out now is how old is Jesus? How old is the baby? How old is this child that you came to? If, If I can figure out when you saw the child, I can know the age range. And then would you go and worship him and then come back and get me? Now, obviously, a king who would kill his own son is a king who would kill a child that might threaten his throne. And so God intervenes, and by a dream, these men are warned, and they leave. But that's not where this story ends. Herod learns that the Magi have escaped. He becomes very angry because of that. And because of that, he issues an order based on the age that they can approximately assume that the child would have been by the appearance of the star. He calls for his soldiers to enter Bethlehem and to kill every baby boy under that age. Every child. And Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad, is warned in a dream. Before the soldiers show up, he gets up, takes his wife, takes his boy, flees to Egypt where they stay safely until an angel declares in Matthew 2.20, get up, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. See, Herod was working desperately to try to write his own story and legacy. But in that moment, as he tried to control everything, as he tried to power grab, instead of him being the greatest story that emerged out of the first century, Herod became the footnote in the story of a toddler. See, we're all a little bit like Herod. We're all a little bit like Herod. Some of you don't want to hear that because if you think about it, it's like, I've never killed a baby. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a tyrant ruling a country, but we're, we're all a little bit like Herod. I'm going to read a statement. And when I read this, I want you to think, have I ever said that? Have I ever, have I ever thought that? Because if you have, you're a little bit like Herod. Here's a statement. I've worked hard. I'm going to protect what's mine. I've worked hard, and I'm going to protect what's mine. How many of you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? I'm going to protect what's mine. What's mine? That's mine. Have, you notice I've, I've, never, I've never had to teach my kids the word mine. <laughs> never. 
Somehow they learned that word on their own. And throughout their, especially their young lives, there's such a grab to take ownership over things. No, that's mine. It's not really even yours. I mean, it's not like everything that you have is mine anyway, but that's not even yours. That's your brother's. Why are you saying that's yours? But that's the way we live. Taking ownership over stuff that we've only been entrusted with that ultimately really belongs to God. I think that when the the heart of Herod in us is is revealed, what, what we find is that we want God to help us but not compete with us. God, I want you to show up when I'm, when I'm hurting, when I'm lost, when I'm broken, when I need some comfort. God, I want you to show up when I don't know the way. God, I want some input and guidance. But you know what? I don't want any competition in my life as to who's most important. Because that's certainly where Herod was. As John opens the gospel of John, the best friend of Jesus, He announces Jesus as, instead of a baby, as a light that was born into the world. John 1, 4 through 5 says it this way. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, for Herod, the most important thing was his light in the light of his legacy. But I really believe for those of us that are Christ followers, the greatest question is not, does the light shine? The greatest question is which light matters the most? Are you living so that the light of Christ will be revealed in you, or are you more worried about how brightly your light shines in this world? Do you want your name to be known or do you want to make known the name of Jesus? Because for Herod, it all hinged on him and his legacy and what he perceived to be his. But here's what we'll find. If you try to take possession of something that you do not own, it is going to break you and it broke him. And I believe that as we look over the tragedy that was Herod in the setting of this Christmas story, that we see some things that will help set up a better story in our own lives. So let me share three things that I believe will help you set up a better story in your own life. Number one, living from comfort will cause you to protect the wrong things. Living from a place of comfort, pursuing comfort, chasing after comfort will lead you to protect the wrong things. Now, I believe that in the heart of every person who's chasing after Jesus, there's, there's a protection that comes, that, that we're called to protect some things. But far too often, we're found protecting the wrong things. If you pay attention to Herod, Herod is consistently trying to protect his power. He's trying to protect his legacy. But if you look at the story of Jesus, Jesus 
laid aside his power. He laid aside his power so that he could protect people. I I think probably one of my favorite incarnations of the Christmas story actually happens in Philippians 2. As the Apostle Paul writing the church in Philippi says this, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He gave up his power to protect people. Herod held on to his power and abused people. When we live from a place of comfort, it will cause us to protect the wrong things. It will cause you to protect your image, your status, your resources. It will cause you to protect your ego, your thoughts, your ideas, all of those things when you live from a place of comfort. But when we live from a place of faith, which is uncomfortable, it will invite us to protect the right things. Number two. Know that light shines brightest when it's in a dark setting. Know that light shines brightest when it's in a dark setting. Man, I think sometimes when I'm around Christians these days, it seems as if we think we've invented a new way to sin or we've created a new type of darkness as if it hasn't been dark all along and sin hasn't existed since the beginning of time when Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. Because it's so common to hear things like, man, the world's just getting darker Seems like we're just, it just seems so dark in the world these days. But let me ask you this question. I want you to think about this with me. Why should we complain about the dark being dark? Isn't it more helpful to ask why the light isn't bright? You know what darkness is described as? The absence of light. That's what darkness is. Jesus would describe you and me, the church manifest on the earth, as light. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to the entire house. You were made to be a light that shines in the darkness. And the darker the setting, the brighter that light shines. But for some of us, this is so personal because the setting of our story based on decisions we've made and stuff that we've done and even stuff that might be hidden away in our hearts today, that setting right now feels so dark that there's no way that God could do something good through me. I want you to understand that it's in that kind of a setting that the light shines brightest. See, one day, your current setting will only be a footnote in your story. Maybe you're going through some financial hardships and it's tough right now, but one day you'll be going, you remember when we used to go through that? Maybe you're going through some relationship stuff right now, and it's hard. It's not easy. It's difficult. But one day, 
One day it'll be where you look back and say, you remember when we went through that? The question isn't, are you going to go through uncomfortable seasons? The question is, how are you going to go to? How are you going to respond to the presence of discomfort? Because it's an uncomfortable setting that launches us into greatness. How will you respond? And number three, learn to stay comfortable being uncomfortable. Oh, we can start great, can't we? Most of us will in just a few weeks. The gym's going to be crowded all over again. Y'all going to be on a diet for two more weeks. It's going to happen, right? And for a couple weeks, most of us will be very comfortable being uncomfortable. But growth happens when we can stay comfortable being uncomfortable. See, we're going to find our comfort in our setting or in our Savior. And I believe that sometimes we need to be reminded that our setting is going to change. That's what happens in life. Some of that you have absolutely no control over. But when our comfort is found in our Savior. Though we may go through trials and difficulties, our comfort remains because it's anchored into a faith that rests in Jesus alone. See, when our comfort is in Jesus, our setting can change, but our faith won't. Think about Melina. Part of that story I didn't tell you earlier. After Walter started missing from the regular routine, she realized that something was going on. In his last days, she was the only person to visit him at home and then in the hospital. See, a story that was born in a season of discomfort, in a setting that we might call uncomfortable or just plain ordinary, rested in someone who never viewed their setting as ordinary. It's exactly who Jesus was. Because he was willing to lay aside his power. He was willing to come to us in our greatest moment of need. And there's nothing that will ever change our lives the way that his willingness to be uncomfortable did. And there's nothing that will make our lives look more like his than us sharing in that willingness to live from a place of discomfort. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.